Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. As long <laughs> as they keep showing up for us, we're going to try our best to keep making them. I wouldn't care if we get the fast 77 and we're in wheelchairs racing. We're going to do what we got to do to keep this thing rocking. This is The Vault by Access Hollywood. We're taking you on an epic journey into the heart of Hollywood with iconic interviews and fascinating conversations from the biggest stars in the business. The Vault opens now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Zuri Hall. And I am Scott Evans. And you are listening to The Vault by Access Hollywood. Today on the show, buckle up, baby. (laughs) Pun intended. Mine kind of sounded like a crash vehicle reversing. I kind of wanted it to sound like a sexy (laughs) Ferrari revving up. (laughs) That, that part. That's that's where we're going with this. Because... Today, we are diving into some throwback clips centered around one of the biggest franchises of all time, nine films and Mm -hmm. counting, y'all. Most franchises can't get off the ground after the second movie. Right. Nine of these bad boys, and it ain't over yet. And it really was a star maker for the likes of Vin Diesel Mm -hmm. and Paul Walker. Mm -hmm. Today, we are talking about the Fast and Furious franchise. (laughs) Um, do you remember how old you were, where you were, what you thought of the first one ever? 2001, the year. <laughs> uh, eighth grade. Okay. Okay. You started strong eighth grade. and then you, you almost lost me, but okay. Ooh, eighth, grade. eighth grade. Need for speed on PlayStation mm. made me believe that I was Paul Walker. <laughs> Give me a NAS tank. In my Toyota Celica. Yes. (laughs) Let's go. I'll never forget. I mean, you have to you have to think about that time in a in a young boy's life where I mean in America, what you want is to be driving. What you want is a car. You want the freedom. You want the go. And so to see this movie Mm -hmm. blue, you when they took the car up underneath the semi. Yeah, the little black Civic up underneath yeah. the semi. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna be a race car driver." Right. So this That's is my calling. Do. This is my destiny. Thank Hello. you, Fast and Furious. Yep. How about it you? All makes sense now. I just remember immediately on site falling completely in love with Paul Walker. 
So, duh. Is Let anyone here? Know. Anyone? Anyone here surprised? Any? Just Not anyone? Up. Raise your hand if you're surprised that first of all, Hall fell madly in love. Universally, like people are just attracted. <laughs> I can't help it. You, yeah. So you gonna say he wasn't an attractive young man at the time? One hundred percent. I can totally. I totally get it. I just am also not surprised. Like every girl. I can't stand you. Like every girl. girl. Every girl. My mama loved Paul Walker. (laughs) She did. (laughs) But even more than that, that was just a cherry on top. Michelle Rodriguez. I remember being like, oh my goodness, this is a badass woman Mm -hmm. in a really dope role. She's doing action herself. She's sweating. She's kicking. She's fighting. She's driving. It wasn't like the hot female sidekick who's around you know right. or, th- <laughs> Wait, or there love, for someone else to bounce I love, off i love who's around <laughs> yeah. and it's like no shade to people who have who played those characters but what i loved about this film because acting was one of my first loves i was like okay these are the roles this mm-hmm. is the kind of role that i want like yeah. i want to be in the middle of the action and so from a very early age if you were in eighth grade i was probably seventh so we're talking like 12, maybe 13 years old and seeing that, that was a really cool example of what women could do on the big screen. It just also was like, I remember being like, is Vin Diesel my daddy? Like his (laughs) voice. Right. Dom! Yo! (laughs) Like, I just remember being like, this is crazy. And he's driving these big ass muscle cars. I loved it. I've been a, a longtime fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise and each and every spinoff. Like, I'm down, let's go, let's, yeah, why not have a submarine in Antarctica, right? Like, why not race on a polar ice cap? Why not beat a glacier with a helicopter? Why not? As one does. Drive a tow truck off a cliff in Hawaii. More, please, more. Mm. Mm. Sign us up, sign us up. Yeah. It's so funny because you think about this franchise of course, you immediately go to the big stunts, right? The fast cars. Remember, the this was one of the first movies where you saw the light kits on mm-hmm. cars. And there was like, oh, I want a down light on my... Nope, I'm not going to do Wait, that to what? myself. Wait, what? I have to say No, 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 yeah, no, you can't no, no. start and then not... Okay, I'm going to tell you, on my first car, my uh-huh. Ford Taurus SHO five-speed had a Yamaha boat engine in it, Ooh. okay? I didn't have the LED little track lights for under the car. Wait, I put wait, hold on. I, I put, feel like I know where it's going and I don't know I if put, I actually want to know. I this put about tap it. lights. Remember the tap light? Scott, my Wi Fi connection put is tap lights out. up leaving. under the car. I'll see you and next here's week. the thing <laughs> <laughs> you think that tap light is going to, it ain't go, So I had a box of tap lights oh in the back. God. Just in case one fell off, I had to hit that no. double st- that double stick Velcro. <laughs> Shoot, you couldn't tell me nothing. You DIY a fast. Do you hear me? OG arts and craft your way into a Vin Diesel situation. Hey, might have got a ticket on a freeway for you know hazardous materials. But listen, I was fly when I pulled up to prom. I tell you that much. That's all that matters. That's all that mattered. So of course we came to love this movie for the big stunts, the fast cars, and the action sequences, right? But you have to remember that in 2001, the franchise started as a small, uh, should I say heist movie with like the double agent sent to infiltrate the ring, right? So the budget for the first one, I think was $38 million. Yeah. Compare that to where they are now 
with over $200 million, with most of that going into Vin Diesel's uh, budget. <laughs> most of that into his bank account. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not even he mad at it. He earned it. He earned it, okay? I'm not even mad at it. You're that and for the nine, submarine. Nine film franchise. Get your money. Get your money, King. Get your I'm chips. Get your <laughs> chips. So in 2001, Access sat down with Paul Walker, who, of course, played Brian O'Connor in the franchise. And we asked him what it was like to be a part of this first film. Listen to what he had to say. The way it came about was really kind of bizarre. I, uh, like I told you, you know, they came to me and basically they just presented this idea. That's all it was at the time was an idea. And they got it from a, uh, from a, a newspaper article. And they didn't even have a screenplay. They didn't have anything. They just had the, like the, the, the premise. I mean, they knew what it was going to be about, but nothing more. And uh, my representatives right off, I mean, they could tell that I was interested. And I was, I was more than interested. I was, I was really excited about the idea. And they said to me, they said, Paul, so are you, are you considering doing this? And I could tell they're really leery because that's a big no-no. You just, you don't attach yourself to a project without reading the script first. But, um, you know, my, my, my mind was telling me no, you know, but my heart was saying, hell with it, just go for it. And uh, so I did. You know, they sent us off to driving school. This, this job really was, it was just a complete joke because, I mean, I got paid to play. Uh, you know, there were times where, you know, it was it was trying and, uh, you know, it was challenging. There's a few scenes I had with Vin in the movie where, you know, we really had to step it up. And, uh, you know, it was a good thing Rob was there at times because uh, we really weren't too sure where we were going with particular scenes. But, you know, he gave us the guidance like a good director should. And, he, you know, we made through it. But, uh, you know, when they came to me, it was we hadn't even started principal photography yet. And uh, the studio came to me and they said, hey, look, you know, uh, you know, we know that we haven't really started filming this movie yet. But if it wouldn't be too much to ask, we'd really like to send you off to driving school. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So you guys are going to pay me to go to driving school right now. I'm like, yeah. So we went and we did that. We were only there for a couple of days. And, you know, I went there going into the school. I was, I was, I was pretty cocky, probably overly confident, you know. Um, I felt like I knew how to drive. But uh, after a few hours behind the wheel of one of these Indy cars they had there, I, I pretty much learned that I didn't know a single thing about driving. But uh, Rob wanted to, uh, you know, he wanted to capture stuff that had never before been captured. And uh, the only way to do that was to actually put us behind the wheel. And uh, that was great. I mean, there were times where I think under normal circumstances it probably would have been a stuntman behind the wheel, but Rob knew that I was up for, the, up for the, the, the challenge and that I wanted to do as much as possible. So, you know, I got in there. Uh, one sequence, for instance, uh, in the climax of the film where the orange Supra is coming up alongside of the, uh, the tractor trailer, the semi-truck, and the character Vince, played by Matt Schultz, is out there dangling. He's got a cable wrapped around his arm. And then proceed to like, I asked Jordana Brewster's character, you know, uh, yeah, get, get over here, take the wheel, get your foot on the gas. And I actually then, I got out on the hood of the car, on the door of the car. Um, they let me do all that. We were doing like 80, 90 miles an hour down the open highway. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the fun stuff, you know. And then Matt and I are out there dangling on the truck, doing the same speed. And, uh, you know, the only other way to do that really is like green screen or blue screen. But who wants to do that? I mean, it's like, okay, you know, Imagine, you know, they got the fans blowing in our face, and it's like, okay, imagine now you're zooming down the highway at 80 miles an hour. This is really intense. No, it was intense because we were really out there doing it at that speed. And uh, that, to me, that, that's, just, that's just a kick. You don't, you, don't, you don't find too often that you get to do that kind of stuff. You know, the studio is always concerned that, you know, they're going to break their head and we're not going to finish the movie. Um, but, you know, they took all the precautionary steps, and, uh, you know, they knew we were capable, so they said, heck with it, we'll let the actors do it. That's another thing. Early on in the franchise, the practical effects were so over the top. Yeah. You were like, that's really Paul. <laughs> 
hanging off the side of the street. Yeah, like hanging off the side of the street. That's really them drifting down against traffic. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, you never had seen things like that in a movie before. Right, right. Which is a testament to the fandom. When you're seeing something for the first time, you're like, oh, wait, what? We're doing this in movies now? Yeah. It's easy to understand why fans have remained so loyal over the course of nine films. I mean, you know, we're talking about the first film we saw, seventh and eighth grade. We are grown humans with jobs and bills and mortgages now and still talking about new movies coming out. But they were certainly the first to, to present the iconic or quintessential car chase in that way, in that big of a fashion. Yeah. You're right about that. And, and that's been really cool. And every single film, they find a way to up the ante. And obviously now ante. we get all the, the awesome CGI stuff too. And it's just like this perfect combination of special effect and actual true and real action, which is mm-hmm. which is rare, but clearly a reason for their success. You know, one of the, the things that's cool, if you go back to watch the first one, now I'm gonna be real with you. Okay. The first one is like a time capsule. I'm talking about the music that they use. They've had to since change, right? Like if you go to, if you watch the streaming version of the movie, the music is a little different than if you had the VHS tape, right? Wait, why? Because they don't have the rights to play the music anymore? Because licensing things have changed because <laughs> it didn't turn out so hot. Like it's just, oh, no. so it's kind of wild, right? So it's this time capsule. The fashion. Oh, long live the fashion. <laughs> Come on. I mean, low <laughs> low, low rise jeans. I'm talking, mm. they might as well. I mean, a bit of crack jeans. <laughs> yeah, a, lo- a lot of bit of crack. <laughs> a lot of bit of crack jeans. Um, it's just, it's, it's so funny. But think that, think about the fact that before that, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker were relatively, I mean, Vin had definitely done some other movies, wasn't a mega, mega star yet, yeah. but they were relatively unknowns yeah yeah. i'm not trying to be like uh shade them or anything like that but after this movie they went pick and choose their projects because this is a level of stardom that very few people ever reach right Right. so like it's not to say you weren't a working actor before that you weren't consistently getting paid but this is just some some rare um sacred ground to touch as as an actor and so for for them this franchise certainly was the thing that kind of put them into the next tier uh that top tier of mega movie star blockbuster Mm -hmm. star and what i think is really cool is the fact that they all truly became family like over the years you saw them um stay in touch and and be there for each other's most important family moments you know he mentioned georgiana brewster michelle rodriguez then like they all seem to really like each other Mm -hmm. even when the cameras weren't rolling and i think as as the films progress that chemistry definitely comes through yeah, 100%. Matter of fact, hold on, I want to watch one of these clips. Well, let's take a break. Let me take a break. Wait, I want to watch I want to watch one of the one of okay. old clips. Okay. <laughs> How'd you like the clip? It was a good one. I mean, it's listen. I accidentally watched the uh is ludicrous at the front of the race talking about <laughs> Are you ready? It's just I mean, I mean, if you got to touch one of these movies, you were like, no, no, no. How can I? How can mm-hmm. I stay right. in this whole situation? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's so true. It's so true. The franchise has delivered consistently for quite a while now. I mean, over the past 20 years, it's just gotten bigger and bigger, mm -hmm. faster, more furious. <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to, guys. You little shaky that. voice, little shaky man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's not just in the spectacle. What's been cool is to see the cast evolve and grow and expand too, right? Originally, we saw Vin Diesel, Paul, Michelle, Jordana um, in that first installment. But then over the years, a bunch of other actors joined this series. Tyrese Gibson, who honestly was one of my favorites in it because he's just so funny exactly. in the most like he's saying what you're thinking. Have me doing uh -huh. type energy. So <laughs> I was here for Tyrese. Uh, Chris, obviously, Ludacris Bridges, Soon Kang. That was Gal that was Dutt. after I believe the Tokyo Drift. He mm -hmm. was brought in after that Frenchman, and a lot of people are upset about the Tokyo Drift situation. They think that it should not be associated, should not be an actual part of the franchise. But I disagree because right. we got some motorcycle situations out of that one. You know what I mean? Fast and Furious, it qualifies, y'all. Back off, okay? Back off. But also, like, don't come for me on Twitter because I really don't have the energy. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a part of the, the most loyal of fandom, please just right? don't at me. Um, Gal Gadot, <laughs> Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> The Rock showed up. I was like, okay, we the are Rock. really taking this to the next level. Next I love to level. see it. Jason Statham, Charlie Theron, John Cena, so many more. When they were doing press for Fast and Furious 6, so, wow, six mo five movies after that first one. This is yeah. 2013, and Access actually sat down with Michelle Rodriguez to ask her about what it felt like to be part of such a diverse cast, which is really one of the standouts for me, is that representation mm -hmm. on screen. And mm -hmm. this, we're talking about a decade before the, that call to action was as vocal and as prevalent as it is now. Um, so she sat down and talked with us about that. So here's what she had to say. Isn't it amazing? It's almost like TV coming to the big screen, but not not in a not in a corny, cheesy way in any way, shape or form. But it's it's where do you see a saga with such a multicultural cast with such a big cast survive that many movies? Exactly. And that's what I felt in those those seconds of like the last 13 years of, of the franchise. It was like. <sighs> but also so cool. that multicultural aspect has not only helped the series evolve for the better, but also appeal to so many demos across the world. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. It is really, really huge. And I travel a lot, that's all I do. <laughs> and I gotta say, you know, amongst amongst all the movies that I've done, you know, I only get three movies over and over and over and over again, Fast and Furious. I get, you know, the girl fight of it all and the avatar of it all. And I'm just so proud to be a part of this franchise just yeah. because it's like, it's very rare that you get people who walk the other side of the tracks and they're not selling drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and With yeah, the multicultural yeah. cast, because you know minorities have it hard in Hollywood as far as representation and getting any respect. There's exactly. so many millionaires from many different walks of life, Russian, you know, African-American, you know, Spanish. And it's like whenever they're seen depicted in movies, they're either drug dealers or pimps or like bad terrorists. <laughs> so but it's really great. This franchise really does justice for many. Said it there. So right she said about it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it's, part, it's, that part. That part. And it's and it was cool because everybody in it was badass, right? Mm -hmm. Bow Wow. I just want to 
I just want to mention Bow Wow was in Tokyo Drift. The second, the second, yeah, yeah. Well, I forgot about that. Like, it is, it is the gift that keeps on. You want a good Saturday? Mm -hmm. Pull out your Fast and Furious DVDs, your special (laughs) edition collector set. Can we just stream it, Scott, in 2021? Nah, nah. I want you to pull out the DVD player, find where it is. (laughs) If you got it on VHS, you might have it on VHS. You might. Let's just be now real. Now you got to find a VHS player, and that's a lot to ask. Now, good, no, and and worse than the player itself, the cord, the hookup to the TV, because you know you don't know you where that find is. It. It's in a box somewhere. You know you, you brought it to the new house, but but <laughs> where did I put it? Did I throw it away? Oh man, but uh, no, I love that clip from Michelle. She's so right about that, and the fact that you're seeing uh, minorities not in these token roles, mm-hmm. but in these additive roles where their characters are moving the needle and and very um, significant and vital to the plot. Vin Diesel actually, when he was doing press for the the next movie for Furious 7 said that it doesn't matter what nationality you are as a member of the audience, you realize you can be a member of that quote unquote family. And I think that's so true. And it's a really, it gives a really good insight into the longevity of the franchise because people feel seen and represented and they've been feeling seen and represented since the beginning Mm -hmm. where they may not have necessarily felt that in other spaces and on other films and or shows. So, And certainly not with such box office success globally. At that level, exactly. Yeah, like proven that it's not all about an all-white cast being success right Right. that the tokenism isn't the success it's so funny you talk about family because you can't you can't talk about the fast franchise without talking about the seventh installment right as we all know the seventh movie was the final appearance of paul walker's character who uh, tragically died in 2013 furious seven was dedicated to paul and the film went on to become the highest grossing film of the franchise after just 12 days, the third highest grossing of 2015 and the fourth highest grossing of all time at the time of its release. So this was the part that like, when you talk about in the movie theater, you could hear people crying. You could mm. actually hear tears because in the scenes that Paul was meant to appear in, but hadn't yet filmed before his death, uh, his brothers. actually stepped in to film for him and in the songs i believe charlie puth even wrote um uh yeah like it was uh grammy nominated i mean it was like we all were mourning the loss of him so in 2015 while doing press for the movie vin diesel took some time to share just a couple of his thoughts of his late friend and co-star with access listen to what vin had to say I met Paul, um, we did this kind of disastrous read-through at Universal, and um, we were on one of the stages, there was about 50 people there, writers, producers, executives, and we were just beating up the script. Uh, I felt bad for the writer. I felt bad for the director. We were just questioning everything. And I remember Paul, after every other line that he was concerned about, uh, he'd look across the room and go, what do you think, Vin? (laughs) And the director and the writers were looking at him like, why are you asking Vin? (laughs) 
So he kind of knew that you were like the big brother in that sense. He knew I was the big brother. Immediately. It's, 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 it's how that relationship started. He knew that I was going to fight for him for the rest of my life. And you knew it right then? I did know it. it there was something... We're from two different places. I'm from the East Coast. He's from California. We couldn't be further you know, apart mm -hmm. in some ways. And yet, we were so much alike. Yeah. Um, I have a twin brother with blonde hair and blue eyes named Paul. <laughs> so, uh, if you were to ask my mother, she would say that my relationship with Paul Walker, um, for me and for my own spiritual growth, was a representation of this person that is my twin brother. Aww. Now, if your little Vincent asks you about Paul in a few years, uh, what will you tell him? What will you tell him about your friend Paul? I will tell him there's only one Paul Walker in the universe. <laughs> I will tell him that um, I'm, I'm lucky and, and those 15 years uh, of that unique kind of bond, um, I'll cherish forever. Uh, I'll tell him that it was Paul Walker that made me get up to the hospital in time to receive him. Really? So we were filming a scene uh, in Puerto Rico on the bridge in Puerto Rico, the ending scene of Fast Five, and because it was raining so much, we were we kept on having to wait for the rain and the clouds to go by. And so I had a plane on the tarmac. The water had broken up in New York. Wow. I had to get up to New York. And I remember telling him, you know, the water just broke. And he said, what? What? You got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. It's, no, it's not even a deal. Aww. You got to get out of here. It's a closed We can film this later. And he basically pushed me off the set and um, got me up to New York just in time for my son. Wow. It's important stuff like that, and I keep hearing that about Paul, uh, that he knew what was important in life. Sure did. And, uh, you know, there's the final scene where it's sort of, Tyrese pointed out that it's a double entendre. Uh, it could be you saying it as your characters, or you really saying those words for Paul. Did you feel that when you were having to read that part of the script? Some of that was off script, really? as you can imagine. Um, and it was so powerful. Um, that when I, when I was done saying it, and James Wan just kept the camera rolling, and when I was done saying it, uh, I, I looked around the studio and everyone was crying. Um, You didn't know where fiction began and reality ended in a way. It was Some of the moments, especially with uh, Paul and his wife uh, on, on screen, they seem so poignant because they could almost be true. The last phone call was really hard. Uh, did you guys feel that as well? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One of the things that has made this franchise so successful is... how this mythology bleeds into reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have 
I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of family, but, uh, you know, my most prized relationship in some ways was always Paul because mm-hmm. we started as unknowns and we became iconic together over mm-hmm. 15 years and dealt with the pressure of that. Yeah. And, you know, we were free people yeah. uh, back in 2000. And then as the fame came, we both became more and more recluse. I'm more of a recluse, and we always charted the fact that in the midst of all that, we still have, mm-hmm. I could still look at you, and I could still remember Paul and I, um, that time when we did have our anonymity. Yeah. And so there was always that bonding thing. Wow. I mean, the emotion behind his voice, you hear him getting choked up at certain points. We've talked about how close the cast seems to be and how connected they are. But I mean, if that five minutes doesn't show just how deeply bonded those two were, I mean, it's so bittersweet to hear, but how beautiful of him to share the way they really came from nothing to everything together. And that sort of bond is something sacred and rare. And so few people could ex- could experience or understand it. So for Vin to open up like that was, was really special. And he doesn't, I mean, he's a, he's a cool dude. He is a, a no rules interview. He's one of those who's, who's ready to and prepared to sit down. And really he's also one of those people that you don't sit down and ask no crazy stuff. Crazy he, now, he's still he's, we saw the movies. You know what I'm saying? You seen Pitch Black. He oh. Hit you with an elbow and don't even move from the chair. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But one of the, I think his last line in the movie is you'll always be with me and you'll always be my brother. And when yeah. I tell you, it was like, I have a friend, Margie Griffin. She's a twin and they are some of my oldest friends from Indianapolis. And I remember sitting in the movie theater with her and she was sobbing Mm -hmm. because it just felt like one rarely does a movie do a really good job of sending off Mm -hmm. it's like icon you know what I mean yeah they've they've certainly handled the franchise with grace and and thought and clearly there's there's no stopping it anytime soon as long Mm -hmm. as everybody keeps coming back I think we we're getting another Fast and Furious because people love the franchise. Mm-hmm. The ninth movie is in theaters this week, actually. And the 10th and 11th installments are in development along with a number of other spinoffs. So really, this series is just like the gift that keeps on giving. Yes. We've gotten so many new characters and movies mm-hmm. because of the franchise. Do you know um, that I'm auditioning? I love that. Are you? Are you, you lying? Know no. For what role? Any role. Oh, good night. Uh, stand in. I'll put gas in the car. You I'll the, the, the oil changes. Yeah, tank. whatever you know. What uh, okay, I'll be we, the su- the gotta... submarine pilot. D- is there a pilot of a submarine? I'll figure it out. Uh, I feel like pilots fly, but that's what, until it's in, in until water. it's in Fast and the Furious. Oh, you see right, a flying right, submarine. Right. You know what? You could be the first, Scott. You could be the first. I'm just trying to be Michelle Rodriguez's homegirl. Who's like Tasha? She's afraid of bugs and she doesn't really whatever, but she can help out. And at first, I'm like, uh, uh, y'all, I'm afraid of bugs and I don't even really know how to drive. And then by the end, I'm just popping willies and whipping, 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 popping willies in a car. 
in a car. I was going to say it. And then I was like, wait, I don't think <laughs> do you it. saw Willie's in a car. Yep. It shows you where my head is. But right you're going to do it. See, because I'm going to be a pilot of a submarine. We talk <laughs> about firsts. Listen, listen. Gr- <laughs> Yo, put us in the film. Whoever's listening. Put us in, you son. It? You feel it? 2022, we're going to be doing our own episode of The Vault. They're going to be playing our Remy Our clips. <laughs> Went off the deep end and thought they were going to be in the franchise. Well, right. <laughs> Got locked up trying to break onto the set. Oh, my God. Prison, prison, prison. All right. Well, in the meantime, while we are still not incarcerated, <laughs> employed, um, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Vault, y'all. The Fast franchise is clearly um, still on the it's still on the climb, so mm-hmm. we can't wait to see what's coming next for them. In the meantime, make sure y'all are subscribed. The Vault by Access Hollywood is hosted by Scott Evans and Zuri Hall, produced by Access Hollywood Digital's Jenny Depper and Rebecca Zamer, and Digital Media Management's Grant Rudder, Audrey Povar, and Ryan Middledorf and Trey Boudet. Join us next week when we open up that vault again for more iconic celebrity interviews and all things entertainment. Rate, subscribe, and share. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 